Welcome, everyone. We're back here at Be Data Lit um, podcast, and we have a special guest here with us today that we're really excited about. But first, I'd like to introduce myself, Alan Hillary, and my fabulous co-host, Sarah Nell Rodriguez. And our guest star today is Nicola Oshanike. Hey, Nicola, how are you today? Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so just to give, I'm going to give a quick intro about you. So you're a founder and lead trainer. Uh, um, at Audit Data Hub, uh, where you're delivering data analytics training um, for businesses and for new people, like to get you know familiar with data. So we love that data literacy. Um, and one of the things that motivated this whole journey with you was that you noticed there was a gap um, in your current in your current industry. So can you kind of walk us through all that and how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. So um, I am an original uh, mechanical engineer graduate. So I started as a mechanical engineer designing um, aircraft. Um, And then I did quite a few jobs in tech, kind of working with the business. So I've been using data for quite a long time. Um, And then I moved into internal audit. So um, that was like another career choice for me. And I kind of arrived and it was a little strange because I don't know if you know much about audit, but auditors evaluate evidence and they weren't using data. And it kind of seemed a bit strange to me. And um, when I suggested it, it was a bit aggressive, to be quite honest. So I kind of, you know, I'm a bit pushy. So I pushed it a bit and it it kind of moved a little. um, And then I moved to a new role and I found a similar resistance. So it, it something just wasn't right. Um, so what do you feel was the pushback? Like what was the pushback that you were receiving? Um, if I'm honest, I think it was a fear of this, of moving from the status quo. I think the, the concept of it sounded so different to what they already knew that it just felt too difficult to even tackle it. So they were just, it was easier to say no. I think, I think that was part of it, to be honest. I, Ellen and Nicola, we're glossing over a very important point that Nicola just mentioned here. And I like how you two are like all serious about this, but holy crap, aircraft. Can we go back to that part for a moment? (laughs) (laughs) No, we're just going to go straight to the date. Yeah, let's rewind rewind a second there. Really? That is a thing I did not know about you. Oh, okay. I like to surprise Sarah. I like to surprise. (laughs) Yeah, no. Surprise. I will. No. So um, I was about 10, 9, 10. And I'm like, I want to be an engineer. And there were a few people at school that didn't think that was a great idea. So I always had this vision in my head. So yeah, my first job um, after university was working for um, an aircraft company. So I was designing parts of aircraft. It was so cool. (laughs) That's amazing. Do you still love aircraft? Like, is it weird to fly? Are you excited every time you do? Do you do safety checks before you go on flight? <laughs> no, no, to be honest, I'm too concerned about getting on holiday. <laughs> but no, I think uh, I do. I find aircraft interesting. Like I, I'm a bit geeky. Like I go to air shows and stuff like that. Um, but it was a bit sad. Like the the job wasn't as exciting after a while as I thought it would be. So I think I enjoyed the degree a lot more, to be honest. All right. So, yeah, I did the same. I am also an engineer. I enjoyed the degree three years into the career. 
yeah, didn't enjoy it as much. <laughs> but what made you go from, okay, so you go from like designing aircrafts, no offense, but to internal audit. <laughs> right. That is a big leap. I feel like we just glossed over a really interesting story there. No. Yeah, because we have similar kind of trajectories, right? So um, it wasn't a plan, let's put it that way. Um, I just think it was a series of events. So I went from um, designing aircraft and then I went to work for Accenture. So I kind of was launched into this kind of kind of consultancy tech role. And then I fell in love with tech. And then I then moved to the public sector. So it's just been a series of moves. And then I was kind of looking for a change. And somebody at the time said, Oh, I think you'd be a great auditor. Oh, I'll try it. And the rest is history. <laughs> so it was, it was accidental. Do you feel it's because you're, you know, you seem very, um, method, method, it's the methodolo methodological, do you feel like it's because you're very, you look very task oriented and you like things in order. Do you think that was part of the attraction to audit? I think I, from my engineering days, I'm a natural problem solver. So I love solving problems, but I also am quite analytical. So I do kind of enjoy kind of doing things in a certain order, but I'm also creative. So it's, it's, it's quite a strange balance for me. And I think um, something that I noticed um, working with other auditors, I think quite differently. So I think at first it kind of worried me that I thought differently to everybody else. But as time goes on, I'm really embracing this different perspective that I have on the world. And I'm kind of seeing it as a superpower as opposed to something that I should try to hide now. I love that. Your superpower. Uh, I think that I like what you just said, though, that you thought you were different. And rather than letting it get to you, you let it be a superpower. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm a black female and pretty much always I am the only black anything, female anything in the room. So from the beginning of my career, I'm just kind of used to kind of being different. Um, but it can get to you after a while, like you can be quite brave, but then it does start to kind of wear you down and you see other people progressing and you're like, I'm just not really like them. Um, but what I did start to notice is everybody was looking in the same direction. So when I kind of started to go, well, why are we not using data? I'm kind of doing background research. I'm seeing where the world is going, but everybody I'm speaking to is like, no, no, no. So I'm like, well, that's, that's the problem. Everybody's similar looking in the same direction. And I'm actually quite enjoying looking in the other way, seeing kind of challenges coming down the track. So um, I think it's just maturity and bravery in just feeling comfortable in my own shoes and being able to speak up. I love that too. And just the struggles you must have had being a black woman in those spaces, but now you're doing things that so many other people aren't. And I think your perspective is so incredibly important. And can you talk a bit about how you took that leap from audit to data literacy then and teaching some of your own classes in this space? Yeah, cool. So I guess um, I'm very observant. So um, I could see with the people that I was around that I could look at data, I could have a problem 
and I knew how to figure it out. Whereas the people sitting right next to me, it was it was like a completely different language to them. And I could see a lot of people kind of being trundled off to training, coming back, just being terrified to touch anything. So I just, I could see there was a disconnect there. Um, and I was really keen to kind of see if I could kind of do something on my own. Um, <clears throat> I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by some like really good mentors. And I just approached my mentor and I just said, how do I be you? How How do I get to the place where I'm kind of doing something on my own? And I think by vocalizing my aspirations, it kind of started to make things happen. So I, I was given my first client. I had no course. I created a course for the client <laughs> and kind of got over that hurdle. And I think I've just taken very small steps to um, keep moving forward and create a product that, in my view, nobody else is delivering at the moment. So it's just about being brave, to be honest. Yeah, and I just wanted to clarify too, as far as the organization that you work in. So for me, when I was in an internal audit group, I was like the analytics subgroup. So we were the analytics support for the group. So when you're talking about your experience and or your journey in that organization, are did you come in as an auditor or were you as or were you like analytics support? I was just curious. So mm-hmm. yeah. No, no. So I just came in, in um, all my audit roles, I was just an auditor. So I I think I'm different because I'm an auditor with data analytics skills, whereas now time is moving and, you know, they are directly recruiting data analysts. But I think, um, I mean, not just about audit, but I think it's a business challenge. Um, you're kind of getting a lot of people <clears throat> that are very good at the technical aspects of data analytics. So the coding, that kind of side of it. But they, those same individuals find it quite difficult to interpret the results in the context of the business. So I kind of sit squarely in the middle. So I understand audit, but I understand data. So I, I, I was kind of in the middle of the two worlds most of the time. Did you feel that your presence and kind of maybe shifted the, you know, what was needed to like, in terms of recruitment? So do you feel like after maybe working with you and then seeing you what you're doing, that your organization decided or they saw the importance of having someone with more data skills like yourself yeah I definitely think it helped to sell the message like it was about demonstrating because I think sometimes it can get extremely frustrating to constantly be saying the same thing but you're just not getting any traction um so I think it was about demonstrating actually this is what can be done with these skills and then it was then kind of a matter of time before that that train kind of moved. But, you know, t- time's moving on and there are organisations all over the place essentially trying to do the same thing, fighting for a very small pool of resources, quite sadly. So I want to talk about something you brought up where uh, data wasn't really a part of audit and you were one of the few people who was really in that area, and that was one of your strengths and superpowers. Uh, One of the things we talk about at Be Data Lit is how data is going beyond the traditional roles that data has. And so I feel like what you're doing is an example of that, where data is moving out of what we've traditionally known as IT roles, or even the emergence of data analytics in the past 10, 15 years, Uh, have you uh, seen people wanting to learn more about data or more people wanting to be like you because of what you're doing? Or 
I, I'm kind of curious about that area. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a mix. I think people kind of um, fall into two camps. So they're either really keen because it sounds exciting and they 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 are already sold on the benefits. So they want to learn. And then there's the other camp who are not really motivated. So I, I think it depends on, on the way you view the world as to where you sit. Um, but I think for the ones who do want to learn, it's a struggle because, you know, and that's the reason I designed the course that I have to be a beginner. Where do you start? That's the problem. I mean, you can straight away um, do a training course on a software tool. And as a beginner, I guarantee you probably won't touch it again. So I think there's a massive gap in the market for um, training people in the principle of data. So that's essentially where I'm sitting. Um, but I think the the, the trickier um, group is those that are not motivated. And I think at the moment, until we get to the place where data skills are a requirement of getting certain jobs, roles, it's just not going to happen. So, I, I, I mean, I think the tide is turning. But at the moment, say, as an auditor, I can get an audit job tomorrow without data skills at all. So it becomes difficult to know what is really motivating people to put all the effort into learning. Yeah, and that may also just come to maybe a balance that someone wants to have in their career. So to your point, like accountants and auditors and even engineers, there's like a professional track, you know, licensing and certifications there. So maybe data doesn't get prioritized in those particular fields. Yeah, I, I think it doesn't get prioritized but then you kind of get to the end of it and then suddenly you're kind of told use data. And it's this strange instruction that doesn't really seem to be landing very well. When if actually, if the principles were incorporated in training up front, you would have a, a whole co cohort of auditors, accountants and other professionals that are quite good at using data. Um, so I, I think it is a bit of a bolt on but I think the more people talk about data literacy, so again, thank you guys for inviting me to talk about this. It's raising the awareness that actually loads of companies need people that can interpret data, but it is not a naturally occurring skill. It's not a skill that everyone has. It's not a skill that can be developed overnight. And I think the more we talk about the reality of what it takes to upskill, I think traction will happen because at the moment I think everybody's working on a bit of a hope strategy which is strange <laughs> to be honest it's more than a strategy is one of the things I try to say frequently um I have to say that so this week I had an interesting conversation around data literacy I feel like I could say that every week but this week I had a really interesting conversation around data literacy and it was uh focusing on so much of the content that's out there right now for data literacy, for people to learn data literacy. So if you go out there to Google, start researching what education is available out there, specifically with the search term of data literacy, it's to become an analyst. It's with the path forward to either do that or to be a scientist. But what you're saying, so much uh, of it resonates with me because not everyone's on the path to be an analyst. People are already in their roles, like Alan said, they're being licensed to be CPAs, to be auditors, to be whatnot, that data is just as important to their roles, but they're not 
going to be analysts. They're still going to be CPAs. They're still going to be auditors. And I just want both of your opinions on that, too. Do you want to go ahead, Alan? (laughs) So pretty much just understand, you mean just seeing how to close the gap or just like where they're or do I agree with that? Well, why, why do you think, why do you think people are focusing so much on being an analyst or a scientist when we have people like Nicola mm-hmm. who are telling us that we need it in other areas? The data tells us yeah. other people need this. Why, why do you think we're struggling so much in the data literacy marketplace? Because I think people think about data and the first thing they think about is that traditional, like, data wrangler or data analyst, because I also feel sometimes the word data analyst takes on a broad meaning. Like, you know, you know, there are data analysts who pretty much like prepare databases or prepare, you know, platforms mm-hmm. for people to use data. But then there's also data analysts. What the what I feel the true meaning is, is when you're actually looking at the data, looking for insights and trying to find insights. So I think that people hear the word data, they think, well, you, you need to kind of help us derive insights. And I think you know, to you know, Nicola's point, the whole bolting on, like you need to have that as part as your a part of your um of your of your function, no matter where you sit. You know, so I think that's part of the reason. Like, it's just a, I think people need to get out of the mindset what it means to analyze data, because um, there are a lot of people who may not be from a technical background who do analyze data like you know a lot of sometimes if you have business intelligence groups or people who work in sales and they know their data they may not know how to necessarily query it you know if it's in a platform but they do understand it better than some people who are brought into the organization just to be the data person if that makes any sense yeah i mean i definitely agree i think um just to broaden that out um i think it is kind of convenient that for so long anything to do with data has been seemingly presented as complicated so it's kind of well it's all about AI it's all about coding and it kind of enables a particular group to differentiate themselves from everybody else because it's like well I have these skills and you don't and then I'm now super in demand and you know and I think it's a way of differentiating But um, I would say, you know, if you're a florist, you need data skills. So I think it's about talking about it in very everyday language. And I think we need to move away from the language of data analytics per se, but it's about making more informed decisions using data. And I think when you start talking about it like that, you go, well, actually, if I'm a HR rep, I want to make more informed decisions about what I'm doing every day. If I work in a florist or run a bakery, I want to make more informed decisions. So I just think it's about moving away from this very technical language, which puts people off and making it feel more accessible to the masses, quite frankly. Yeah, I think, and just really quick, I think there's just something to be said for business context when it comes to data. Like people who have the business context can navigate the data easier. Um, so I just want that, that too. So I, that's why I feel like people need to, again, move away from that term data analyst when talking about, you know, business organizations or any organization to your point. Um, actually, just, sorry, Sarah, just to add, I think it's also about self-sufficiency, right? So if you're a leader, okay, and you've kind of gone, well, 
I don't need data skills because I'm already fully skilled and I don't need to skill up anymore. You are fully reliant on somebody else interpreting your own data. To me, that's pretty risky. So <laughs> just to another point. <laughs> no, I love it. And I, I'm so happy we are doing video for our podcast too, because then you can see the excitement and enthusiasm on our faces as we talk about topics like this. Um, and so much of me is like louder for those in the back. Come on, people. But um, no, I, I, I agree so much with both of you and what you were just saying. And just your example of a florist or a baker. Um, these are skills that every person needs. And I feel like some of the context of, of data literacy these days has been muddied because of that, where we're focusing so much on business instead, instead of thinking, this is everyone, this is every single person, every single type of business and industry. But even just a person who, if you aren't in those kind of jobs, just your typical everyday life, you need those skills too. Everything's moved to this very data-driven form of life where suddenly things are less accessible if you don't have those type of skills. So you're doing the good work of getting out there and really being a pioneer in the audit space, but we need pioneers in other spaces too. You are, you're a pioneer, Nicole. You can add that to your LinkedIn profile now. <laughs> can I put that on my CV? <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I think just something, just a slight um, change in direction. It to think in a data-driven way, I think is very, it's a complete opposite mindset to the way a lot of us are trained. Um, I've been exploring this recently, I think, and I'm kind of looking at the way that my kids are educated at school. It's very process-driven. There is this kind of, here's information, you absorb it, you regurgitate it, you don't really ask too many questions, you kind of get into the workplace, here's a manual, you learn it, you kind of repeat and it, it, it's this process driven, you know, ABC linear way of working when, you know, as you all know, data has very limited rules. And I think if you're an individual that takes comfort from very uh, defined way of doing things to suddenly be suddenly be told you need to shift into this being very creative and you're kind of looking at data and you're playing about with it and you're experimenting I think to some that is completely terrifying but I think that the, the more worrying thing is that the workplace is moving towards needing more of those kind of people and I don't know what we're doing to prepare for that shift in mindset to be honest. I agree with you. Um, I know, Alan, you have some thoughts in that area, too, because um, just some of the things we've talked about recently. Um, can you talk to some of the work you're doing, Alan? Sure. So, yeah, as far as data literacy goes, there's a lot of stuff going on. So I do work with another project called Data Stories. And so we're looking to help um, educators educate their classes in terms of forming data groups, data experiences. Um, and we're trying to be a platform of providing material for these teachers. We've had weekend workshops where, you know, they were built for the students, but we ended up having so many teachers come to the workshops instead because they just need, they were like hungry for material, you know, to teach on data literacy in their classrooms. And so that's just been 
you know, that's been really great. And the work that we've been doing here at um, Be Data Lit, you know, we've had someone working with us, you know, to build out data literacy exercises. So more to come on that. And then, you know, Nicola, you've also contributed, you know, with a post, you know, that's been really, it's been well received as well. So we're definitely trying to make a lot of like noise in the data sphere <laughs> to to really highlight data literacy, but not only just for the professional, but, you know, for everyone, like to make sure that, to your point, a florist, a baker, um, even delivery people can use data because, you know, I was, you know, delivery people are now using their, um, you know, the handheld, there's a, there's a word for that kiosk or, and just to kind of say, okay, what's the best route? How do I maximize the number of deliveries for today? So, I mean, everyone is leveraging data in some form or fashion and that message is resonating. People, you know, we're getting a lot of responses from Data Lit and everyone's been excited about the work that we're doing at Data Stories. So, it's been it's been a really exciting time. <laughs> so. Maybe Alan can go teach some of the teachers over in the UK with Nicola. Ooh, maybe Nicola can be the UK extension. <laughs> yeah, I would love to go <laughs> to the UK. I've never been to the UK, so I would love to come over and uh, do two things I love: travel and talk about data. So, um, roadshow. Oh, Road and then we have that food tours <laughs> as well. So, foodie, yes. Uh, so. Yeah. I was gonna say it's very it's really lovely to hear that you're teaching educators because um there was a survey done here I think it was this year and there is this kind of assumption that the gap in um data skills will suddenly be filled by university graduates and it's becoming very clear that it's not going to happen. <laughs> so. I don't see how that's the case because we don't even. I mean, it's starting to happen. It's starting to trickle. I would say trickle. Um, that's for you know, I haven't looked at the actual stats, but there aren't a lot of data literacy courses. I think this needs to start early. I have some stats. Oh, yes. See, <laughs> yeah, I would like to confirm uh, what Nicola is saying with some stats. Uh, Tableau did a uh, research project with Forrester earlier this year, specifically in the academic space, and only forty-eight percent of academic institutions have data literacy initiatives in place today. And then 60% of recruiters said that new graduates uh, do not have the skills to enter the workforce today. So academic institutions are still falling behind on what students need today, just to confirm what Nicola is saying. I, I knew I wasn't making that up, so that, <laughs> that's helpful. Oh, can I ask a question? Yes. Just because I can. I just wondered, um, do you guys, why do you think there is reluctance from kind of the business world to admit that there is a problem? Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> I would just say it's because, you know, success is a business, you have to keep moving. And so I think a lot of times you feel that the problem will figure itself out, which it does to some degree, but maybe we keep putting on band-aids instead of really just like um, solving for the problem. Like I do see a lot of business groups integrating. So to, to so as we were talking earlier, um, the audit team had a subgroup of um, of analytics folks, and I've seen other groups start to have their own dedicated analytics groups. I still think there's problems with that because they're not fully integrated, but. Um, I also think that they're looking at cost 
you know, sometimes people see the price tag of data and they think it's going to be high. The market definitely makes, you know, makes salaries high for, you know, analytics folks. So I think there's just a lot of, it's a mindset shift that needs to happen. Like, I think um, people are looking at their um, expenses, they're looking at their business and they're just, yeah, not making that leap, you know. I'm going to have a counterpoint to that. We like counterpoints here. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say I agree with a lot of what you just said, Alan. No, this is I such a good it. question, Nicola. You should come on more often. I know. You're the first guest who's asked this question. I know. Pushing wow. the boundaries. Have, told you. Told you. You may have to be our guest <laughs> correspondent. I've been saying that to Sarah. You should be our guest correspondent. But anyway. Right. First friend of B Data Lit. Yeah, we have like a, a podcast that we just bring you in by surprise to ask questions and throw <laughs> off our throw off our guests. He anyway. just pops in, you know, 10 minutes into a recording. <laughs> I have a question. No. Ask um, Nicola. Well, that's going to be the segment. <laughs> Instead of the hot seat, it's going to be ass, you know. The <laughs> what have I created? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So serious question now. Right. Um, I think part of, uh, I think we're going to see that change. I think um, this acceptance or reluctance on the part of leadership at organizations uh, their hands are starting to be forced. And I think we're seeing this uh, as a trend right now in something that's being coined the great resignation. And mm. I think that this is just indicative of what people in their FTE full-time roles are willing to put up with. And they're not willing to put up with certain things anymore. They're not willing to put up with dead-end projects or duplicate projects that just have different names every single year, fiscal year. Hey, we're going to roll out this project, but it looks a lot like this other project that we just did last year, but we're calling it this fancy new name instead. Um, I think people are recognizing that and they get tired of that. And I think they're in the workforce has been this historic acceptance that um, to get ahead, you have to do the time. You have to um, grind what people call grind. You know, you have to do those 12-hour days. And then when you get ahead to that one position, you can take it a bit easier. And nobody wants to do that anymore. And nobody considers that acceptable. So people are going to leave companies that don't look at true strategies and investments to make a company better or feel like their input makes a difference. People want to feel like they're doing something that matters and in a lot of cases, they weren't. I don't think it's going to fly after uh, COVID finally closes and comes to an end. Um, I think people are starting to drive where the workforce goes. And uh, if leaders truly want to drive innovation, they're going to have to listen. See, I think that there is a threat to the established way of leading, if I may say so. Because I think a lot of leaders have learned from whoever led them. And it's very, and I think you saw in a lot of companies where, you know, they were resisting working from home for ages, suddenly COVID, everybody has no choice. And then as soon as they could, they demanded everybody be back in the office. Because I think for those kind of leaders and potentially organizations, their comfort 
in feeling like they're in charge comes from a certain way of being. And I think the biggest problem is when you start to bring data people into your organization, they want to change stuff because they see problems that you don't see. And they're like, well, this doesn't make sense. Well, let's innovate here. Let's, and oh, no, 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 no. We want data people, but we want them to stay in the corner and not change anything. Yeah, we want them to validate what we think. We just need the data to validate what we already think. We're it's not- a marketing scheme, right? You know, yeah, exactly. We look amazing. And we have data analysts. They can't even talk to us. They don't even know what to do. It's like, oh, they have to assign someone, oh, talk to the analytics folks, you know? <laughs> and it's like, they can't, oh, you know? So that's also frustrating because it's like, if we try to integrate, and learn from each other. So like sometimes the data people need to know more about the business, you know, depending if they start where they're at, if they haven't been with the company before. Mm-hmm. And then like the business people need to provide that context, you know? So it's, it can be such a two-way street and people just don't realize it to your point. Like they want to just kind of rule in a certain way, or they just want to use a team to echo what they think. And it may not even be, you know, the case, you know? No. And I think, the the problem is, I think that trend, that kind of shuffle has been happening for a while. But to Sarah's point, we everybody's kind of woken up slightly and gone, actually, I don't really want to do this anymore. I actually want to do something that makes a difference, that actually changes something, helps something, helps someone somewhere. And I think, yeah, so we all do, right? <laughs> so I'm like, a lot of leaders have kind of just been, again, hope strategy, it will be fine. If one person says no, someone else will say yes. Well, actually, you have a lot of vacancies for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, not to both of your points, I do think like the pandemic and just other things, we'll leave it at that, has definitely caused for a moment of reflection. You know, sometimes when you get knocked down, you know, you start to think about it as you get back up. Maybe I don't want to do this anymore, (laughs) you know. Or you get back up somewhere else. Maybe you crawl somewhere else and then you get up over there. But yeah, I think there's been a historic power struggle and it's kind of that patriarchal approach again, isn't it? Uh, Where you have typical older white men running businesses where in a historic setting, that's a father figure and father knows best and all these terms and that I think everyone can relate to from growing up, but that's not the case anymore. And I want to, I've been writing a new presentation for data literacy. And one of the things I was researching is what keeps CEOs up at night. And the top thing I saw across multiple different platforms and articles was innovation. And if they truly want to be innovative, you have to allow your employees to do just that, to innovate, to find areas to improve, to find areas of opportunity. And uh, I don't think that's just, that's really been a way or path forward, or if it has, it's been in only specific lines of business of an organization. And those are the cool kids, but the cool kids are everywhere now. The cool kids are the ones like you, Nicola, who are doing things in a space that nobody's done things in before. And you're going to change it because of that. Yeah. Didn't we brand her as like the early adopter? Or something like trailblazer. Oh, we had a curve, right? We had- yeah, we put you. Yeah, yeah, you were like against. Uh, You're yeah, a you know. trendsetter. 
it wasn't a hockey stick curve either. I think no, it was, no, no, like, it was uh, a kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of those normal distributions. I don't know. I'm thinking all stats now. But, uh, yeah, if we're looking at a bell curve here and where people are creating products, uh, there is early adopters and innovators who start out first, and then they are the ones who drive the momentum for what's to come. Uh, so when people get excited about something, it's because someone innovated and someone adopted early. And that's you. You're doing things in a space that nobody's done that before. And now uh, other people are going to hop on and realize the benefit of what you're doing. And they're going to bridge the gap to the majority of people who want to do this. So um, hopefully other auditors listening to this podcast are going to be inspired. It needs to be bridging. But I mean, I I think I just come back to um, just a point that I made before, just this principle of motivation. And I just I think some people are kind of like, well, are we just all terrified that the robots are taking over? You know, and it, it becomes this hype. And then the minute it becomes hype, it becomes easy to go, well, that's nothing to do with me. I'm just going to beaver away in the corner and just be comfortable doing what I'm doing. And Nobody I'll puts them. Nicola in the corner. Nobody puts Nicola in the corner. <laughs> but I just, I don't, I don't want to kind of come across doom and gloom, but I just think people need to wake up to the reality of what's happening right under their noses. And I just think that the fear of addressing what's actually happening is kind of leading people to just put their head in the sand and hope it goes away. And I just think that's a really high risk strategy, quite frankly. So here you are teaching people how to be courageous and to embrace bravery in a place that is full of fear and can be incredibly scary. So maybe that should be a class. How to not be scared anymore. Hey, spoiler, you're still going to be scared. You're just going to go out and do it. (laughs) So how can people find out more about your, you know, about your um, business? Like, like, are you busy right now or do you, are you taking on any new clients or invitation (laughs) you know I am always willing to talk to anybody so at the moment I'm still kind of developing the um online offer because um so initially when I started I was kind of training teams and as time's going on I'm being approached by more and more individuals which is suggesting their organizations aren't funding the training for them so this is the trend now um so I'm moving 22 percent of organizations invest in training there you go. However, they, they really want data people, but they don't have a data literacy skills gap, but they're directly higher. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. right? <laughs> so there's a lot of contradictions going on. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to um, collaborate with some folks to kind of develop a really good quality online offering um, because I'm just getting contacted by people in different continents, you know, lower budget, but they, they are hungry to learn. So I'm trying to kind of service that audience. So um, definitely get in touch. So my website is www.auditdatahub.com. And then you can contact me on LinkedIn as well. Nicola Oshinike, O-S-I-N. A-I-K-E. And I'm just willing to talk to anybody right now. I'm just trying to spread the word and just raise awareness that this isn't as scary as it seems. And if you just try, you don't, you, you'll be surprised how far you can actually get. Yeah, and you're on Twitter as well, just real quick, right? I am. That's true. Thank you, Alan. You did force me to get there. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't say force so much as really nudge, nudge. recommend. Hey. 
Thank you. Highly recommend, yes. <laughs> so we'll share all your information too when we post this podcast. And uh, that would be great to have you back talking about uh, just some of these things you've been doing and uh, whatever changes. Or we can just talk more about our opinions on things too. I mean, what cool. do you think, um, Alan? First friend of the podcast? Yeah, I, I'm really serious about this whole Ask Nicola like, segment. Like, right? you know, the surprise segment. People just like, okay, we're going to play a little game Wait, now. Wait, is it we'll... Ask Nicola or Nicola Asks? Nicola Asks, actually. Ooh, now you're innovating. Or answer <laughs> Nicola. Answer Nicola. <laughs> Nicola, answer Nicola. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think... I think we have something to look forward to. Nicola yeah. asked. We'll figure that out. We'll brand it. Cool. But um, I, I think what you guys are doing is amazing. We just need to keep on screaming at the top of our lungs and eventually the masses will get it. <laughs> well, we need more people like you to do it. Oh, I get it. In the hot seat with Nicola. That's what we're doing. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's so, good. In the hot seat. In the hot seat. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for a great episode of Be Data Lit. And I know we'll have you again with us in the future. And to our listeners, if you want to go check out our website, we have some great articles out there and you can read Nicola's as well. And hopefully she contributes to it in the future too at BeDataLit.com. We are also on Twitter at BeDataLit. And we will talk to you next episode. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) 